Hey everybody, I'm Bobby Salveson. And I'm Michael Monaco, and together we are the Hazmat Guys, connecting the Hazmat community near and far with knowledge, insight, and real-world examples in an effort to make your job just a little bit easier and safer. Now, let's take a minute to hear from today's sponsors. Hey, Mike, pop quiz. What is the standard go-to method for emergency decon? Uh, That's pretty easy. Wet decon, right? Well, you know, you're not the only one that may be thinking that, but it's actually dry decon. No, 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 no. How many times have I heard dilution is the solution to pollution? (laughs) Actually, too many. And that's the issue. Makes sense if you think about it. Without the use of water, we don't need to spend extra time setting up traditional showers or pools. And there's no wastewater afterwards. And you're not going to freeze anybody to death if it's below 60 degrees. Check out firstlinetech.com slash dry decon. First Line Technology has a whole webpage dedicated to the methodology and links to plenty of dry decon resources. See for yourself why dry decon with FiberTech should be your go-to immediate decon solution. With many major cities having nearby waterways, subways, and sewers, first responders sometimes face rescue situations where they must wade into stagnant water. Turnout and traditional rescue gear is not designed to provide protection from hazards and chemicals while submerged in stagnant water. Lion prides itself on making garments to keep first responders safe and is now offering a protection solution for these stagnant water situations. The lightweight one-piece FRS, which is flood response suit, protects against lower levels of liquid concentrations that may be encountered in flood zones or stagnant water where wading is required. The FRS is a non-certified hoodless garment with a special AquaSeal zipper, butyl wrist gloves, and neoprene collar to keep the hazards out. The FRS is made from Kempac, selectively permeable fabric by Gore-Tex Labs, which provides protection from toxic industrial chemicals and bloodborne pathogens while managing heat and body stress for longer mission times. When it comes to ChemBio Solutions, Lion has your back. Let's get to the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 388 of the Hazmat Guys. We will be talking continuously uh, about the exposures, what they mean to us, how we can operate with them, how we can use them to our advantage, when, where, and how. I like it. I like it. What are you doing? Uh, I just got back from uh, teaching up in Massachusetts, so I literally just just walked in the door. Uh, it was a, a great class. We did more of the the metering, got some great ideas to make the class even better, uh, more hands on, more more. I want to say well rounded, betterer. It's it's betterer, and here's here's why it's better. And and I think people are walking away with a really good um a really good sense of the meters and how they apply not only to like our operation but every part of our operation right i don't think i don't think as as technicians we really learn where meters fit into different parts and pieces like we don't really sit and discuss like okay i have a um a PID, right? So where in my operation can PIDs come into play? Uh, we'll take ammonia, for example, right? Like, you know, I, I, can, I can use it as a source finder. I can't use it to identify and confirm, 
but I have another meter for that. So once I've used that meter to confirm, then my PID can bring me all the way up to 10,000 parts per million, which is like the, you know, you take one breath in and you're dead point. And mm -hmm. right. And then when that lags off, LEL has already started to pick up. So we have this yes. continuum of, of, uh, some chemicals, you're going to have blind spots, but for the most part, using the meters of the technology and their advantage and disadvantage, we kind of have this continuous spectrum of when meters can be used in what part of the operation. So that's that's really the basis behind the the, the metering classes that we do is to is to just get the absolute most out of the meters uh, for each of our missions, each of our goals, and just move forward that way. And the class liked it. And I, I think I want to try to add a little bit of uh, tabletop type exercises. So it, it was good. I'm really happy with it. Awesome. Um, what are you doing? Well, that, I'm, out in, um, I'm actually doing a class out in California again. Uh, and I'm hanging out in Santa Rosa, California, Sonoma County, uh, wine country Ooh. as it may be. Um, with 36 amazing people that are hard chargers. And we are doing what they call B Week out here, which is the applied chemistry. And we had a couple, we had one long philosophical question uh, amongst the instructors today. And I think I'm going to throw it on the table before we get into the, the rest of the thing. If you, uh, you know, if you want to skip to where we just go into one part, that's, that's totally cool. But um, next week, I believe, is the Hazmat Happy Hour, which you can find on thehazmatguys.com slash happy. Uh, it's going to be 1,900 hours Eastern Standard Time on the fourth Thursday of every month. Um, the next conference is going to be New York State, which is seriously this weekend. So when this when this drops, uh, I will be en route to that, along with our good friend Steve Kalarchek, who's doing ARF Rescue uh, there. And then we're going to be at Midwest in May. Cold Zone, Baltimore, and September's Mass. Yes, I can't. No, you didn't say Plymouth. Huh. All right. Anyway, so uh, what? Um, what's the philosophical question? Okay. So obviously, when you're doing a class, you have to go. I'd like to say we're going to do multiple topics in the one time, but you you can't really go deep into a single topic until you start. You have to set the table. Right. Right. And so in this week, they've gotten their chemistry training and now we're going to start putting uh, the pieces together. So naturally, you're going to start correlating the chemical physical properties that they learned in depth into real world things. And a lot of that is for like, what do you do with this? Do you like meter with it? Do you like decon with it? OK, great. So now. As you start doing and putting these concepts together and we play, you know, games like, you know, what's in the bucket where there's an unknown in the bucket and you're going to do your four gas for it, your PID, you're going to pH it and oxygen. And you're going to get like a, um, I'm going to say a low resolution because we're starting somewhere. We have, we can't start with like, oh, I'm going to pull out my GCMS and I'm right. going to pull out the rock. It's like, they, let's, let's crawl before we walk, before we run. And so with these uh, basic um, meters, we try to have them start categorizing it. And where you want to drive that, that conversation is like, okay, what PPE do you wear? However, we haven't talked about PPE yet. So mm. now I've, I've broken the class back to, and, and it's a, I don't expect them to get it right, but I've broken the class back to 
do you think your bunker gear will suffice or do you need to upgrade? You don't have to know what upgrading means, but based upon your metering, do you think the bunker gear is going to do it? Okay. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think do you think you can I, say, "Hey, listen, we haven't gotten to PPE yet." 100%. You know it's coming. But in operations, they at oh. least showed you suits. 100%. I I I I 100%. Okay, and I know cuz I've done B week before, so I know exactly the conundrum that you're in. Uh and yeah, yeah 100% we can talk about it. And and you could either do a quick little tutorial on, you know, PPE selection. Or you can allow that dot to be connected later by having a discussion about the harm of the chemical that they're dealing with. So if right. you is it you can, or skin? Right. And then as you go into that harm, you can ask your you can ask them, okay, if the harm is respiratory, how would we protect ourselves? Well, we would we would need SCBA. Okay. If this if the harm is splash protection, right? If the harm is getting on our skin, then we've identified the harm. How can we protect ourselves? You may, they may not know A, B, C, and D, but at least they can recognize, well, I need to protect myself from the splash. Okay, great. You'll make those connections when you learn about PPE. So as long as you can bring them up to the point that they can identify the harm and the root of the harm, then when they learn PPE, those connections can be made. Right, but... All right, so even even the small thing of like this week we do toxicology. In my mind, toxicology toxicology is strongly associated with PPE selection. Sure. Chemical and physical properties is strongly associated to metering or monitoring or detecting whatever it is. Now, meters tell you the toxo toxicology numbers. Right. However, I, I don't really think you should be drilling down into the weeds when you're doing metering. You can just say, hey, listen, the meter gives you numbers. We'll talk about what those numbers mean next week when we talk about PPE. Those numbers are going to trigger certain actions. Yeah, I, I don't agree with you. I don't – not that I don't agree with you. I don't agree with how the system you're being boxed into teaching – teaches so first of all let's just get yeah. that right off the bat right and i don't think you agree with it either um but i guess being stuck in that box and in that system how do you make the the most of it and i agree with you it's this is not a conversation that 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 should be independent of each other right they should be learning they should be learning the first steps of each one of those subjects and then when you loop around again you put the next lego piece on top of that, and then you do all the second rounds. Set the table, eat right. the meal. Set the and table, then, eat the meal, and keep coming back. Yes, and keep coming back. So just recognizing off, first of all, that the, the system that you're teaching right now is not set up well. Oh, uh, yeah. How do, you, how do you do it? How do you go about it? You just got to kind of hope that those dots are connected at the end. And when they start doing all the scenarios in the, the, the weeks to come, that that's, you have an instructor with them that can connect all of those dots. Understand that, that their, that their information hasn't been properly 
assimilated together and you have somebody there to be like, oh, no, no, remember, this is a foundational piece. And then remember, you learned this in C-Week. Right. Okay, now we're tying them together. I just think I'm making a plea to all the people that have input and have the ability of when you're designing these courses, don't just think, oh, I need to get all these pieces. Let me throw them on a bag and then shake the crap out of that bag and say, well, that's where it laid because I only had 45 minutes for this day. There is a clear and uh, what's the word? Um, articulated methodology to picking a specific class at a specific time in a specific order. And you have to think about this better. It has to be done better. It has to be done better. It, yeah, it has so. to be done. Even even if it was just okay, do I need to get into the the weeds on what a level A is? No, but you know, like you said, chemical physical properties and metering. Metering is directly related to PPE selection. So how do you how do you waste the opportunity to not allow those dots to be connected by not teaching them X, Y, and Z first? Right. I, I whatever. It's you know. It, it is what it is. It's just I, I get I still get frustrated at, at these little things when I go teach different programs in different places. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense here. Why would you put it here? Well, actually, we always done it. I just teach them. That doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just teach. That's no, true. like, seriously, like, I'm like, all right, well, this you, you'll learn more about this later. But real quick, I'm just going to give you a rundown. I'm going to give you a right. rundown on PPE. OK, let's just and then and then I, I loop it in that way, because honestly, I don't. I don't agree with the way it's set up. And if I feel like they need to know information, then I'm going to give them the information. And if that gets me in trouble in some point in the future, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, so with all that being said, uh, let's finish up part two okay. of our exposures um, where we will finish up with something. All right. So all the ones we did on the last couple of shows, um, I'm going to say there's a few and we, we articulate that in the previous show. This set, and there are more than this set. I don't think as emergency service guys, we deal with these in a limited basis, if at all. Yeah. And these are Mercury. because like, uh, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Right, like, like, like the occasional, right. Well, here, well, mercury, because it's an example of an industrial chemical that gets into the home, right? So right. In, in times and places where you have the public, like in their home, getting in contact with industrial material, that's where this stuff comes in handy. That's like right, the place for it. Typically, this is for more of the industrial hygienists, the more of the Department of Health, the guys that take it down to those lower levels or do public type things. Would you agree with that? I think that's a, a I pretty think, fair assessment. Absolutely. I think for the most part, with the, I mean, I think the AG, the AEGLs are the exception to that, where they turn around and they say, okay, all these other ones are for workers and things like that, but let's talk about now the Johnny Public. And oh. so they've, you know, they, we've pulled everything from the NIOSH and the worker and the this and the, okay, WAS is first responders. We get into an IDLH. We need to have a mask on, blah, blah, blah. And now they turn around and they go, okay, but what if it gets out into the public? 
like when do we mm-hmm. allow for the public to reoccupy an area like what is acceptable before we have to evacuate what's acceptable to shelter in place like the the and that's really the the next ones that we're going to be talking about is the AEL the AE I can never J do this. G-L. I, I'm it's right in front of me and I still can't say it right. The AEGLs, <laughs> right? Because they are literally that short term shit's gotten out of hand and I need to make sure the public is protected. They could be exposed for 10, 15, 20 hours. What are my different what are my different numbers and what kind of harm is going to come of them so that I know what what to do with them? Hey listeners, the Hazmat Guys have some great news for you and your organization. We are really stepping up our brand of in-person training in addition to the great content you get on demand. Now we know what you're thinking, but this is already incredibly great stuff, and how could it possibly get better? All I can say is, wait until we're in front of you. When we gather the best of the best from across this planet and even beyond, and assemble an instructional cadre that is seriously second to none. And now we have a ton of ways to help you, your team, or your organization get to a level that makes everybody proud. From subscriptions, on-demand, hybrid methods, to full in-person goodness. You can contact me, Bob, at thehazmatguys.com to schedule a call and find a solution that works for you. And every participant of an in-person class gets a free one-year premium subscription, which sounds pretty good. Hmm. So contact me at bobthehazmatguys.com and get some more information. So let's, let's, yeah, no, let's, let's define it then. The okay. angels or eagles. I've heard of eagles too. Uh, eagles? Acute, I've heard of eagles. Uh, <laughs> acute exposure guideline levels, which okay. are a series of values developed by the National Research Council who provide guidance they're not laws. They're good ideas for the maximum concentration on a hazardous substance that can be safely tolerated by humans for a short period, typically from like 10 minutes up to eight hours. And if we can take that and incorporate it into a hazardous materials incident, then all of these AEGL values, they can they they can be used as like a, a screening tool to evaluate the potential risks associated with the exposures of the hazardous material substance at hand. So that's why they're great for the big public when something gets out and goes beyond what our, 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 our hot zone is. And these AEGL values, they're expressed in three major levels, right? You have your AEGL1, your AEGL2, and your AEGL3 with AEGL1 being the lowest concentration and AEGL3 being the highest. Okay, so now this always confused me, but I think this kind of makes sense, is that the main difference between the AGLs and the TWA exposure limits is that the AGL values are designed to evaluate the acute health top uh, effects of an exposure to a hazmat substance, while the TWA are for the chronic effects of yeah. an exposure over a long time. And and if you if you think about that, that's exactly what we're looking for. If we're looking for a short term public, right? The the time weighted average exposures are based upon the average concentration of a hazardous substance for a worker uh, 
in an eight-hour workday without any kind of adverse health effects. Um, mm-hmm. And these are, again, they're, they're designed to protect workers from respiratory diseases, cancer, long-term things, right? We think about cancer, we think about cancer as being something that's chronic. We think about respiratory disease. We think about respiratory disease because you've been exposed to something over a long period of time. Yes, and so in contrast, the angel values are intended to provide guidance for the maximum concentrate of hazardous substance that can be tolerated for a chewatone, right? Yep. And so, yeah, cute. <laughs> um, angel work values are based on the available toxicological data and are designed to protect workers and the public from an immediate health effect of an exposure, such as like you know respiratory irritation, nausea, or other weird like vomiting, that kind of crap. Yeah. And one is not better than the other. The the TWAs no. are designed for something specific. The AEGLs are designed for something expe- uh, specific. They're both super important tools in evaluating those potential risks associated with the hazardous materials incident. So uh, we might as well kind of break down what each one of these is. Yep. Okay. So you got Angel 3s, which I uh, you said that was the most badderest. That is the most severer. <laughs> okay, so uh, the angel threes, uh, the air of one concentration, this can be expressed in parts per million or milligrams per cubic meter, which, again, just pulling it back for a second, one is a gas or a vapor, and one is a dust or a dust. Basically, it's a solid in suspension um, of a substance that which is above the predict, the predicted, which is above the predicted general population allowability, including susceptible individuals, and they can experience life-threatening health effects or even death. So this is a big one. You yeah, pass this I, line. You're done. You're, you're done. done. I think this is I think this would be kind of equivalent if we opened up the ERG and looked at those evacuation distance. This is like the isolation distance. If we wanted to apply this to the public realm, we would say that the AEGL threes, that would be like that would be our no-go line for the public. Mandatory evacuation, isolated area, nobody's allowed in. Right. But they're adding on a time component for this. They could be 10 minutes, uh whatever, they're, two hours, four hours, eight hours, whatever the hell it might be. So yeah. not only are they giving you the distance and the level, but they're giving you like the duration. Right. So you balance everything in toxicology, right, is dose and time. So they're giving you that balance to be able to figure out, well, I'm these people could potentially be exposed. It might take us 10 hours for us to stop this leak. Where is this going to be in 10 hours? Who's going to be affected in those 10 hours? Mm-hmm. When we drop down to the AEGL2s, right, this is the uh, airborne concentration. Again, can be expressed in parts per million or milligrams of uh, milligrams within a cubic meter of a substance uh, above which is predicted that the general population, including susceptible individuals. Now, when we say susceptible individuals, we're talking about the really old, the really young, and those are sick. The people that we would expect to kind of croak first if something were to happen. Uh, with these people could experience irreversible or serious long-lasting adverse health effects or an impaired ability to escape. Again, there's time frames associated with each one of these. Like Bob said, two all the way to 10. I think some of them, do they go to 24 hours? I, they might be. I, I, I would assume that you can just extend this out almost infinitely. 
Right. So this 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 is where we're saying at this level, you're going to you're going to have something to deal with for the rest of your life, or for some reason you're going to be impaired. Right. And then we get down to the paltry angel ones. Uh, and this is again same stuff. Plus a million milligrams per cubic meter of a substance above the predicted for the general population, including susceptible individual individuals that could notice discomfort, irritation, asymptomatic non-sensory effects. Basically, you, you have eye irritation, you have skin irritation, you have the itchies, you have a cough, you have a lightweight drooling issue, and that's not predating the exposure. Um, <laughs> you know, basically, once you get out to a clean area, the symptoms and the uh, the problems are transient and reversible. Mm. And this is one of the the first ones that we kind of look at in a large hazmat event, right? So if we if we have some kind of an event and in that area we we can identify that AEGL one level, right? That's going to indicate to us, okay, these people, what are they going to see? They're going to see mild health effects, irritation of the eyes, the nose, the throat. Um, this is where we might advise sheltering in place, right? Where we turn around and go, okay, the levels outside are bad. But we know it's going to be a short period of time. Stay where you are. Stay mm. inside. Close the doors. Close the windows. Um, if you have protective equipment, you might want to put it on. But for the most part, we're trying to keep people uh, in the area but isolated in that area. Right. And and, and basically it goes the same thing with the Angel 2s. Like we're sitting there thinking, okay, if we're going to hit the Angel 2s, like – you're going to have to seriously weigh out the, okay, can they sprint to their cars and get clear before Angel 2s are passed? Because once you start stepping into Angel 3s, you're talking about people who are going down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the Angel 2s may be like that mandatory or suggested evacuation. Like we want to try to, we want right. to, try to get them out before they have, if they, if it's, if the Angel 2s is going to prevent them from escaping or cause them some kind of long-lasting harm, we want people to exit that of that shelter-in-place area in the level 1 before it gets to an imminent level 2 outside. Right, exactly. So now, obviously, the level 3 is kind of what we talked about before. We're talking about comas, convulsions, deaths, immediate evacuation of the public for this area. Uh, if you are doing plume modeling and you see a possible Angels 3 in that area, that is immediate evacuation. And if you're going to, to guesstimate your plume or allow your plume to work out, any area that might be covered by that Angels 3 needs to be evacuated ahead of time. All right. So I, I know, you know, basically – we're using this in conjunction with other information, so it's like weather and population density and, and et cetera. But like, I just kind of want to pause for a second because you might be thinking, okay, when the hell do I use these things? So if I'm looking at a scenario where I say, okay, I got to move an entire building's worth of people, right? And I say, it's going to take me an hour to do it. And I can safely, based upon, let's say, some poo modeling or whatever, say they're going to be exposed to 10. Don't worry about it. It's just a number. I can now say, well, an hour at 10 equals an angel two. And I go, oh, okay. Well, there's going to be some screwed up people, but it's the right. better. Right. But if I go, oh, shit, this is going to be an angel three. And I'm people, okay, maybe it's a shelter in place. If it's an angel one, I can go, all right, 
we can make a run for the border and I could do this. Like, so there's the time that you really think you can do this in what your amount you're probably going to see. And it kind of gives you like what the, the impact is going to be for the vast majority of the civilian population. Does that make sense? No, it, it, it totally does. Um, you're, You'll look at these models, right? If you look at the graph, you may see the same parts per million in Angel 1, Angel 2, and Angel 3, but that's because the time frame has changed. Times are changing, exactly. So it's not just all about the parts per million. It's not all about the concentration. It's that concentration over a unit time. So what you're saying is you have to almost calculate how long it would take for people to be exposed to that not just the parts per million. Right. And if it's not an acceptable thing, you're going to have to bring down the concentration or do it in a shorter duration of time. Only ways to do this. Right. And it's used. This is why the angels are used in the the plume modeling, because they're going to estimate the potential risk associated with the hazardous material substance at the incident. So, you know, you, you plug it into like your Aloha and the plume, the Pume, Jesus, my freaking, I've been talking all day. My voice doesn't work. The plume modeling, then it it it, it computates all the information, all the mm-hmm. weather, the, the chemical and the physical properties, the prediction models, and it basically spits out this mathematical algorithm that's going to predict the dispersion of the hazardous material substance in the air. Yep. And in plume modeling, angels can be used as a screening tool for potential risks. Um, and even do like, you know, safe distances for emergency responders, the public and even nearby buildings. Yeah. And so as you know, the plume modeling is literally going to do exactly what Bob is saying. And then we kind of plug that time in in order to estimate the potential health effects of the exposure. So what is great about this is during the incident as well. But this is a very powerful tool for emergency response mm-hmm. planning. Right. Because if I if I have, say, I have a a factory in a known area and the only way out of that town is going to be through a road that I know 80 percent of the time the prevailing winds are blowing from the facility across the road, I need to be able to guesstimate how much time people is going to take people to do that evacuation route. So pre-planning with the angels and the plume modeling becomes super, super important. Yeah, and, and don't – I'm going to say, yeah, yeah we, we, I can do it in 30 minutes. you got to take into account everybody, like people in wheelchairs and people in, you know, that are, 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 are conspiracy theorists and people that don't want uh, – they don't know what they're talking about. This uh, is, is kind of – when we talk about – and we've talked about this many times on the show before, is shelter in place versus evacuation. How do you make the determination? It's seriously in you, – you should be leaning – pretty heavily into angels because it's much it's much more of a realistic duration slash duration slash dose calculation rather than the typical worker uh 40 hour week eight hour day doesn't it doesn't scratch the itch this scratches the itch for those that type of discussion and just to say, when we're trying to calculate how long it would take for people, I'm just throwing it out right now. I would totally George Costanza the shit out of an evacuation. I would be running over old people. I'd be climbing over anybody I could to get out. Love it. 
Well, that wraps up another episode of The Hazmat, guys. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. And don't be afraid to use that like or follow button. Or you can sign up for even more content from us at thehazmatguys.com. Here, you can subscribe so that we can connect you to even more great stuff. Your support is going to help us improve and build this awesome community even more. Yeah, and if you want to get to the next level, you won't want to miss our premium content. Our specialist level provides you with access to our entire catalog of shows, which is now over 300, an exclusive Facebook group, premium video with no ads, and so much more. Also, check the Hazmat Guys University link on our website. And don't forget... We are always interested in hearing about incidences or calls that you have experienced. We may bring you on the show to share that story. Reach us at feedback at the And remember, folks, don't just get on the job. Get into the job. <laughs>